Welcome to Decoding Digital Content Marketing. The IAB essay podcast that encourages and develops content marketing in South Africa as a unique, independent discipline and an effective tool for brands to communicate with their audiences. Hello and welcome to the fifth episode in our Decoding Digital Content Marketing series. The topic of today's episode is what does digital content marketing success look like? And throughout today's conversation, we do hope to demonstrate how content marketing can have a direct impact on a brand's sales, customer retention, positioning, and ability to communicate with consumers, thereby delivering the oh-so-holy grail of measurable ROI. I am Claire Travankovska-Neal, Managing Director of iProspect and Visium, as well as the head of the IAB South Africa's Measurement Council. And with me today, I have Megan Singh and Marnus Nievotes. And I'd like to hand over to Megan and then over to Marnus to share a little bit more about themselves. Megan. Hi, Claire. Um, and thanks for having us on the podcast today. I'm Megan Singh. I'm the head of business intelligence at New Media, and we're a digital content agency specializing in content marketing, internal communications, and B2B marketing. We're also a publisher with our own titles, Finweek, VC, Eat Out, and Food24. I've worked in the publishing industry for more than 15 years on the publisher side, agency side, and client side for some of SA's biggest brands like Cosmopolitan, 24.com, and Woolworths. At New Media, I focus on understanding and harnessing data across various platforms to present insights that enable faster and better decision-making across the business. Lovely. Thank you. Over to you, Manus. Thanks, Claire. And also thank you, Megan. Um, lovely to be here. I'm Manus Nivot. I am a content officer at Machine, who is a division of Publicis Group Africa. So I focus basically on um, content marketing, similar to what Megan does, also looking at, you know, real strategic uh, imperatives across the board for either internal communications, B2B, um, and some consumer-facing work. I have a background in persuasion, argumentation, and negotiation, as well as corporate communication strategy as, and performance media. And in addition to that, I'm also an editor at Condé Nast House and Garden. Right. Persuasion and argumentation. This could make for an interesting uh, podcast, couldn't it? In our first episode, addressing what digital content marketing really is, Emma had mentioned that not all content is created equally. And as importantly, not all content can be measured equally nor the same way. Measurement in itself poses a number of challenges. Uh, marketers and business stakeholders rarely see eye to eye, nor are they fluent in one another's language. So generally, when speaking about measurement, this, this conversation is a hot topic. Marketers are under increasing amounts of pressure to measure the impact of marketing activities on consumer action and further translation of said actions into tangible business outcomes such as revenue, leads, sales, and increased basket size. But before we get to the end result, as with any great story, one needs to start at the very beginning. And when approaching any form of marketing strategy, it has always been critical to know your why. And from there, 
there to define the role of each of the elements, whether these be media channels, creative iterations, or content marketing. Manus, with content marketing tending to be positioned within the Apple funnel phases of awareness and consideration, what role do you believe content marketing does or could play in a B2B brand strategy? Well, I think it starts with sort of outlining what the relationship is like between content marketing, marketing strategy, and then also the broader business strategy. I think that's sort of the starting point and the role that it plays there over the longer term, because as said in previous episodes as well, it's very much a long-term game. Um, it really builds relationships. That's the crux of it. And in that, those relationships are defined depending on the business context. So whether that be in a lobbying situation where we find ourselves sometimes in the internal comm space, but also in B2B, as well as very much driving education imperatives. And then I think the other sort of very important aspect of that is establishing credibility, which is truly crucial in the B2B space. I really like that, particularly the idea around building relationships. And I think that in my experience and having worked with a number of financials and when you start to look at the corporate side of things, it really is a long tail strategy. And you mentioned that it is a long term approach as well. And Megan, I wonder, would you have a different perspective when considering the potential role of content marketing, but with a consumer centric focus? Would it differ to B2B? Not entirely. Content marketing can help drive brand awareness, brand equity, and brand sentiment. And I like to think of content marketing as the, the softer side of marketing. Don't get me wrong, there are some tough KPIs that are often attached to content marketing. But consumers interact with brands they know, like, and trust. And content marketing builds those bridges for a brand. Because content marketing is a long game, consumers get to know brands very well through the stories they tell. And brands can slowly win over an audience that way. Um, as an example, I don't use Dove products myself, but I've watched all of these stories which center around women reclaiming their self-esteem. And as a result, I have praised and recommended the brand to family and friends. Another example from episode four of this podcast series about the power of purpose-driven content marketing, Zadwa mentioned Ben and Jerry's ice cream. She's never tasted Ben and Jerry's before. It's not easily available in South Africa, but she feels an affinity towards the brand because of the stories they've been telling over the years. For one of our healthcare clients, over the last few years, we've been consistently telling inspiring patient stories of hope, which drives sentiment. So when the COVID pandemic struck and there was this avalanche of information and misinformation, we continued to tell stories that reassured and informed our clients' communities helping to bring some positivity and light into a very dark time in many people's lives. So in that way, content marketing can help drive brand awareness, brand equity, and brand sentiment. Just listening to some of those lovely examples that you've shared with us and this ability of content marketing to demonstrate a softer side of a brand. It really does bring a brand into incredibly rich territory. And again, we go back to this critical component of the ability to, to foster relationships. Manus, just going back to the original question around B2B brands and the nature of the relationship, what do you think is the greatest struggle for a B2B brand, knowing that it's not only about a softer side, but it's 
a certain element of a personality that possibly wouldn't come through in traditional communication. Do you think that it does the same job for a B2B brand or would it be slightly more iterative? I think uh, I agree with you on the iterative component. It's really prevalent, I think, in the B2B space. Uh, but also what I really liked about um, what you just said was around personality and I think in the B2B space specifically, what makes it sometimes very daunting for marketers is the fact that it's almost treated differently and without the realization that who is consuming the content at the end of the day? Still a person. So it's, it's often a case of um, when people look at it, that the person aspect is removed, the people aspect is removed. And it's still there. It's just showing up in a different way. And that, I think, is how content marketing assists um, in driving that level between formality and informality, as an example, um, where, you know, it, it gives those certain nuances along the journey, which is really important. The journey doesn't change necessarily, but it's just applied in a different context completely. On the topic of journeys and transformation and relationships, we alluded to measurement being closely linked to the role that it plays within a brand strategy and the need to identify the role up front is closely linked to the understanding and the deliberateness around your why. And linked to your why is the need to understand the who. Who is your current customer and who could your future customer be? And without all of that information, what a brand lacks is clarity and direction. And without having clarity of direction, one can't start to understand what measurements are applicable to determine the success because that's why we're here today. We're here to talk about what does content marketing success look like. So staying with you, Megan, what guidance would you offer marketers when approaching the measurement of content marketing against relevant strategic roles? You spoke a little earlier around the ability of content marketing to drive things along the lines of brand equity. Um, and if that was something that a brand was wanting to, to hone in on and using content marketing as a delivery mechanic, what should they be considering in their measurement journey? I agree with you 100% clear. You have to think about measurement before you start creating your content. And taking it a step back is a single piece of content can't be all things to all people. You can have many different goals that you'd like your collective content marketing efforts to achieve. But my advice would be to only assign one goal to a single piece of content. Anything more and you're setting your content up for failure. Once you know the results you're trying to achieve with your content, you'll then be in a better position to create something that actually speaks to that, that end goal. Regardless to what's being measured, though, I'm also a big advocate for setting targets and benchmarking. I always recommend to clients to benchmark against themselves and their past performance. And while it's good to know what your competitors and other brands are doing, there are so many factors that you either aren't aware of or you have no control over that contribute to their results. So measuring your success against your competitors and other brands isn't really practical. If we look at the specific roles that content marketing can play within a brand strategy, and we focus on awareness, positioning, and public sentiment, you need a basic temperature check for the brand's current status before any campaigns kick off. How much of the public sentiment is positive, negative, or neutral? How much awareness has the brand generated over the last, let's say, six months? 
where is the brand currently positioned in the consumer's mind? Then as the content marketing efforts roll out, the results can be compared to this baseline that was set at the beginning, along with checking whether you're on track to meet targets. I really like the way that you frame that there because benchmarks and baselines are critical components of any marketing activity and content marketing is no different. And what you said that really stuck out was that measurement should be considered at the very beginning of the journey. And often we end up focusing on it halfway through or at the very end when we sit facing a client and client asks, how successful were we? And this baseline is is something that is quite difficult to establish if you're not sure what you're trying to achieve. And I really liked how you you almost gave a little bit of guidance in terms of, you know, checking on brand sentiment to establish whether it's positive, neutral, and then what impact is your content marketing activity having. So in the spirit of baseline and thinking back to the nature and importance of nurturing relationships in a B2B space, Manas, how would you approach measurement in the B2B ecosystem and what guidance would you offer customers that sit in this sphere? So also um, 100% agree with Megan's approach as well, you know, setting benchmarks that you measure against yourself because there are very often factors at play for your competitors that aren't necessarily relevant to you and the same applies to you as a brand. So that is really, really crucial, especially when you're looking in the the B2B space at, for example, something like organizational identity. It's going to differ by definition and it should. So bearing that in mind and also pursuant to what you mentioned earlier around the why, is having a very, very clear look at what role organizational purpose plays in your strategic activities. I think that's absolutely crucial. And then from there on, while you're also, you know, creating whatever strategy, again, factoring measurement in right from the very beginning, because if you can't measure it, you can't control it, which is an imperative. However, with that being said, we also need to look at what factors come into play that we don't necessarily foresee or planned for, etc. And then also be flexible in how we measure at the end of the day, um, particularly over the longer term, because this is such an iterative process. If you can't measure it, you can't control it. I think so far that's possibly one of my um, favorite statements and definitely your persuasive and argumentative um, personality coming in there, but it's quite strong. And it leads me into actually talking about KPIs and KPAs because in a recent convert and convince blog that I came across, 50% of marketers felt that the ability to measure conversions was the most important part of it. But if you can't measure it, you can't control it. And conversions are certainly not the only aspect of measurement that we should be focusing on. And again, that takes us back to the very beginning of this conversation around identifying your why, understanding your purpose, the role of the channels, the role of the content marketing, and then obviously linking the correct KPIs to that. So if we were to talk back to the strategic lens, Manus, and having a look at more traditional 
marketing KPIs, such as traffic to website, organic ranking, and such. What do you think, or how do you think content marketing can impact traditional KPIs? Can it? Of course. Um, but again, it's contextual. It, it all depends on the operating context and the eventual market. Um, whether that be B2B or B2C, it's, it's highly contextual and it should be measured within those parameters. So it also then comes very much back to what you set out to do at the beginning. And this is why I flip the, the argument back the whole time to strategy because it's all set up there and the two, um, aren't mutually exclusive. It works hand in hand. So we need to, sort of look at the environment in establishing those those KPIs. And it will differ because website traffic, as an example, won't necessarily be relevant to client X, but it's a highly, you know, relevant metric for client Y because of the nature of their business function or the nature of their purpose at the end of the day. So I wish I could give you a clear checklist as to measure X, Y, and Z all the time, and you'll be wonderful at content marketing for the rest of your life, but that simply does not exist. <laughs> if only it was that easy. Well, it wouldn't be fun. This is... <laughs> no, it wouldn't. I, I do believe that, that anything worth achieving is is never easy and, and certainly not as fun as it, as it could be, and it would be a lot, lot more boring. I think that it's also a good point in the conversation to contextualize for some of our listeners who are perhaps not as au fait with KPIs and possible measurement metrics for the likes of content marketing, just to, to give a prelude to a few buckets that could be worth consideration. And I've done quite a lot of reading um, because I think the topic of measurement is, it's not only contextual, there's, there's an element of perspective. And I'm often found having a conversation around the different layers in an organization and what metrics mean to different people based on their interpretation of their work environment and their objectives. And when it comes to content marketing, we tend to classify them in four buckets. There are a few different ones that sit under some of these buckets, but we look at consumption metrics. And those are measurements of how much content is being consumed. So is it a number of posts? What is the behavior? What is the consumer journey throughout the destination and where the content is housed? We then look at web engagement metrics. And some of that is what we've had a conversation around already, looking at the traditional KPIs such as web traffic. We also need to be clear about looking at retention metrics because we've also spoken about content marketing's ability to foster a relationship. And it's not just a relationship with customers, it's the ability for customers to build a relationship and an affinity to the brand. So looking at things like your bounce rate and your return rate are going to be quite critical to understand at quite a superficial level the extent of that relationship, but no less important. And then obviously, when it comes to content marketing, there's a need to disseminate this beautiful content that's now been created. So whether that be through social media mechanics or whether that be through email marketing, as an example, those factors can then give us an indication around engagement and open rates and really tell a beautiful story about how consumers really are engaging with the content that a brand has created. Previous conversations 
we've also addressed the importance of content marketing being of value to the consumer and the ability to speak credibly. So this value exchange becomes really important in the desire for marketers to get closer to their potential customers. And this closeness that we talk about is really achieved through this value and data exchange. So in adding value, they are so delighted to receive the content that they are far happier and more comfortable in sharing their data with brands. And this was an excerpt that came out of the first episode that Emma had chaired. And I really, really liked what she had said around this value exchange and this perceived happiness of sharing data because data is something that's becoming more important uh, to marketers as this world around us shifts. And Megan, I'd love to pose to you what your thoughts would be on the use of first-party data in content marketing and how you feel it could benefit the brand delivery in terms of the content experience or the consumer experience in receiving the content? I feel that with the the coming third-party cookie apocalypse and the increasing number of consumer privacy protection measures that are being implemented, that brands are starting to really see the value of content marketing, not only in building their first-party data sets, but also in campaign and content planning. Um, a study conducted by Google and the, the Boston Consulting Group found that Brands using first-party data in their marketing achieved 2.9 times revenue lift and 1.5 times increase in cost savings. So highly targeted customer experiences and personalization drives brand loyalty and retention. Because you know who your audience really is, their likes, needs, and wants, first-party data allows brands to tailor this customer experience. And as a result increase the brand's relevancy to its audience. So these unique experiences then build trust and higher levels of engagement with the audience, which ultimately bring down marketing and advertising costs. Those are some really impressive stats in terms of the improvement in using relevant data. And I liked what you said about this hyper-relevancy and the ability to get closer to consumer by being of value and in essence being relevant. You also spoke quite interestingly around using content to collect data. And could you perhaps share an example of either theoretically uh, how you could use content marketing to to collect first-party data? I'm sure many of our listeners are going to want to know. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. We recently ran um, a 10-month campaign with a multinational food manufacturing company and it was around a cookbook experience. So um, we would we would create recipes um, that consumers could then pull into a cookbook, um, and they could then purchase the cookbook. And along with that process and that that customer journey of creating the cookbook, we were able to collect information about what kinds of recipes people would want in a recipe book and what kind of meals they they like cooking for their families. And then obviously when it came to the checkout process, we would then gather information about who they are, where they're from, email address, telephone number, etc. Obviously it was consent-based. Everyone had to opt in to provide the information, but we found that customers were happy to part with that information because they were receiving this personalized cookbook, which they created themselves. And they were happy to then be marketed back to by the brand because the brand now has information about them and will only send them information or content um, that relates to their interests. 
So over the span of the 10-month campaign, we were able to help build the brand's uh, customer database and then also provide value back to the customer in terms of cookbook. That's a lovely example. I do think it gets a little more difficult when entering the B2B space, although possibly even more important. Manus, I'm not quite sure what your thoughts are on this, but when I think back to the corporate space and the kinds of consumers that we're marketing to, they tend to be time sensitive in terms of not having enough time to do whatever it is that they need to do in a very, very long day. And I would suspect that having valuable first-party data could really cut through the clutter and ensure that you reach the right people. 100%, because that goes back to the real essence of content marketing, which is the relationship-building aspect, and establishing that direct engagement in the B2B space is crucial, especially when you're, let's say, for example, your target in the B2B space is at executive level. They're busy people and their worlds are cluttered already. So how do you then go about offering something that will not force them to pay attention, but grab their attention in that moment? And that is, as you said, Claire, crucial to have that first party data set. I'm sure some of our listeners have come across chiefmartech.com and its well-known marketing technology landscape. And for those of you who haven't, in April 2020, chiefmartech.com reported a total of 8,000 solutions available for use. That was across a number of core pillars such as data, advertising and commerce. And that figure of 8,000 is 5,233% increase in solutions since 2011. When looking at content and experience alone, there are 1,936 measurement solutions available. And just trying to get my words out with those big numbers, it's overwhelming. And how does one start, Megan, when referring back to some of the KPAs that you've discussed that Manus has referenced, for those just starting out on this content marketing journey, what measurement tools are available for each of them? And where would you suggest that they start? So there are a lot of tools, absolutely. Um, and if you're starting out, I recommend looking at your where your first-party data sits, and that's usually on your owned platforms. So for websites and apps, we use Google Analytics, and that measures brand awareness and engagement metrics like users, page views, pages per session, time on page, scroll depth, etc. When it comes to emails, which is also another uh, platform where we collect first-party data, we use Evolytics specifically. It's the South African brand. And the metrics that we look at in Evolytic is opens and open rate, but we are placing less importance on those metrics now because of Apple's mail privacy protection that's coming, that's coming to effect. And we're looking more closely at clicks, click through rates, and then refer a friend, those shares and just general list hygiene. Um, moving away from some of the owned platforms and the first party data collection platforms and onto search. We use tools like SEMrush, Ahrefs, and Moz, and that gives us an indication of branded and non-branded um, share of search. And I also recommend tools like uh, Google Trends if you want to monitor keywords and how they the volume changes over time. Then moving on to social media, 
which is great at driving engagement, but they are the rented platforms. Um, you can pull insights from these platforms directly, but I would recommend using a third-party measurement tool like Hootsuite or Falcon or Sprout. The, the dashboards and the reports that these tools provide allow you to slice and dice the data in ways that's not possible on the social platforms themselves, unfortunately. But a word of caution when using these third-party tools is when you're looking at metrics like engagement or engagement rate and you're comparing metrics across a number of social platforms, make sure that you know what these metrics and how these metrics are calculated because each social network has a different definition for what they consider engagement or how long a video view is, for example. And you, you want to make sure that when you're comparing platforms and performance across platforms that you're comparing like for like. Um, if we look at media monitoring, uh, I'd recommend tools like Brandwatch, Maltwater, and Talkwalker. Um, and then just going back to the first party data uh, conversation is for the more advanced marketers starting to invest in, who are starting to invest in third party data, I'd recommend looking at customer data platforms or CDPs. The CDP that you choose will depend on your use case, but G2.com is a great resource for finding and comparing software. That's a critical call out in terms of understanding the nuances between platforms and platform definitions, as often marketers can fall into this trap of applying one metric across when they differ quite greatly. Manas, just listening to some of the tools that Megan referenced, and she covered quite a span of them in terms of different areas, and we'd called out different KPIs or KPA buckets earlier. Are there any others that you've come across in your experience and particularly honing in the B2B space that you would want to to add to what we've just discussed? I do think that Megan's list was quite comprehensive. Um, and... Um, Especially, I mean, she mentioned all the, the relevant ones in our market, for example, Everlytic, and obviously looking using it, Google Analytics, which is Data Studio, etc. Um, but looking at key metrics, for example, two additional ones to add in the own space, when especially when it comes to email marketing or email initiatives, is perhaps looking at click-to open rates, because that gives you a more clearer gauge of engagement as to how people are actually interacting rather than just, you know, the, let's call them a bit more superficial metrics at the top. But it, again, it, it's all very contextual. It has to come back to what you set out to do to begin with. So that for me is, is really the important part. And then Megan also mentioned share of search is how do you treat search data, whether it be, you know, on the other end of the, of the, spectrum, which is actually using search as guiding your actual content activity. And what I mean by that is, obviously, you're looking at intent behind each search term, but it also gives you a gauge of which mindset your searcher is in and where they are in their journey, which is an important metric at the beginning stages of planning and strategy because that gives you a clear idea of where they find themselves and what their pain points are. And then you can map that out in terms of looking at what solutions you could offer, what 
answers you can give them along the way and how that then fosters into your respective marketing objectives because you're helping them along that journey. So it gives you a very, very clear idea of where people are and what they're looking for just based on the language that they're using in search terms. So that should, it's a bit unconventional, <laughs> but it really looks at, at intent as one of the key variables in your content activity and in also in your measurement at the end of the day, because how effectively does it match up then what you put out in the world? Manas, I do love the way that you keep drawing us back to strategic imperatives and just really understanding the start of the journey. I feel that you're keeping this conversation incredibly honest, so thank you. We often speak about work that works, and it's a conversation that comes up with the IB South Africa quite often at different points in the year. And I suspect that a conversation that comes up equally as often around content marketing is the ability of content marketing to work, but to work when looking at the lower portion of the funnel, so where we traditionally talk about conversions and acquisition. Manus, how would we go about demonstrating and proving the impact of content marketing at the lower part of the funnel? Well, there is a notion out there which can be disputed and debated at length, but let's not go into that, which I feel, I feel like you might take us into that. <laughs> um, I'll try my best not to, but it's centered around the fact that content that doesn't drive action isn't marketing. It's just content. It doesn't do anything. What's the purpose at the end of the day, which to a certain extent within the world of a marketer makes sense, but it's, it's very subjective. <laughs> and looking at sort of another framework, which sort of I lean towards more is when we specifically look at, um, you know, the lower funnel space is how do we hold content accountable there and almost frame the narrative around performance content in a way, if we, if we want to call it that as a, as a term and how can we credibly and honestly attribute certain content activities to the lower funnel conversions or the lower funnel imperative. And that, that gets tricky because again, it depends on your context and it depends on what you set up to begin with. Yeah. Did I answer your question? You did. And you actually led us beautifully into, to my next question. I was going to pose another challenge your way. And it was really going to focus on um, how marketers should and could approach attribution. Attribution is the holy grail when we talk about measurement in general, and there are so many different models available to us. But I do believe that a lot of people get confused around what the benefits are um, for each of them. As with anything, there are pros and cons. And Manus, do you feel that when it comes to content marketing, given a lot of the conversation that we've had in the strategic imperatives, um, and I really did enjoy what you said around content that doesn't garner an action isn't marketing, it's just content. So with that in mind, and knowing the array of attribution models that are available to marketers, is there one that you feel is better suited to content marketing? Perhaps you could just share some thoughts on, on those that are available and what you would recommend. Claire, what a question. Um, particularly because I function in a very, very niche environment 
it's very difficult for me to say that. So often these are built out in my space in a highly, highly contextualized manner. So I'm reluctant to answer that question. That is fair. Um, yeah. That is fair. And, oh my gosh, it's going to sound like I keep repeating myself, but it's highly contextual, <laughs> again, because it depends on what is set up up front. And, God, I sound like a parrot repeating the same thing but i i truly truly believe that especially that's how valuable that's how valuable your statements are they're worth <laughs> repeating <laughs> thank you let's help <laughs> so without me going into I, I truly truly won't set out to recommend a certain one in a b2b space for 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 the pure context of the fact that where I operate is so highly niched. <laughs> no, look, um, that was a tricky question. And I have to be fair and see if Megan's willing to sit in the hot seat and whether you've got a different perspective, again, with your slightly different focus and not as niche in the B2B space. I was hoping you could skip me, but that's not possible. <laughs> so yeah, I, I um, echo Minus's sentiments. It's, it's Attribution is tricky. And I don't think anyone locally or globally um, has got it 100% correct. But if I absolutely had to choose an attribution model, I would recommend multi-touch because the first touch point and the last touch point are upweighted. And content marketing often sits in the first touch point at the top of the funnel. And then you can see how it works with that last touch point to the conversion at the end. But I do think we need to think about attribution a little differently because content marketing helps customers, again, get to know, like, and trust your brand. Its main role is, is brand awareness. But the likelihood of converting an audience purely on brand awareness every time is small. And brand awareness is ultimately there to assist acquisition campaigns. So in my view, I think we should be measuring content marketing in terms of assisted conversions. I have an example. I don't know if you want me to use it. Yes, <laughs> please. I, I think <laughs> I think it would be incredibly helpful. Okay. So an example with one of our clients is Woolworth's Taste. Um, and for uh, the listeners who aren't aware of what Woolworth's Taste is, it's a multi-channel content marketing, marketing offering of recipes, food inspiration, food news, and trends. The recipes strike a balance between inspiration and convenience, but they also drive the customers to shop the ingredients. So the e-commerce sales don't take place on the Taste website, but instead the recipes that live there drive potential customers to a page on the Woolworths site, which sits on a completely different domain, where all the ingredients are then pre-selected and ready for checkout. And the customer then also has the opportunity to explore the rest of the Woolworths online store, and if they want to add extra items to their cart. Sometimes checkout is immediate, sometimes it's not. But when it comes to this particular case, the success of these recipes on taste is measured by assisted e-commerce conversions on Woolworths. So that's how I see content marketing working um, lo lower down the bottom of the funnel. So content marketing usually allows your other marketing, marketing activities to be more effective because of that like, know, and trust that's happening in the background. And as an alternative to selecting an, an attribution model, um, I recommend analyzing your, your brand building activities alongside your sales reports to then see if you can find correlations or causations between the two. I do agree with the suggestion around multi-touch attribution for a number of reasons, and I feel that it comes quite 
comes back to something we've discussed at length, and it's been sort of a continuum through the conversation around this this journey versus a destination. And what is becoming quite clear is that it's not just measurement, it's content marketing that is a journey. It's a journey for a brand, but also a journey that a brand has the ability to take a consumer on. And having discussed tools available and having discussed attribution modeling, I think if we were to leave listeners with a few clear takeouts, I do think that one of them would be that it is a journey and it's an evolution and it should change and it will change. And as Mana said up front, that there isn't a golden, you know, there isn't one size fits all. There isn't a golden set of principles that you can walk away with and are going to determine success from today and into tomorrow. And I must admit, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been insightful. And what I would like to ask both of you before we close off is to share a parting thought with our listeners. And knowing that this is a convoluted journey and that when approaching measurement of content marketing, there are so many things to consider. Megan, what is the one thing that you would say to marketers listening today that they could do differently right now that would set their content marketing up for greater success tomorrow? We always speak about this funnel and how customers move down the funnel or through the journey. And it sometimes paints a very linear picture, but that's not how consumers convert. So some customers, as you said, they move from A to D to C back to A before then eventually getting to E and then Z. And humans are the greatest variable in all of our formulas. So I think if I could leave one thing, it would be that we need to let go of this desperate need to get attribution 100% perfect. We need to have a test and learn mindset, but also build a culture within our teams and with our clients where it's safe to test and to fail, but most importantly, to learn from everything that we've done. So failing forward. And fast. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Manas, what would you add to that? What I would add to that is, particularly when looking at the B2B space, but I think also highly relevant for marketers working across you know, the spectrum. And this doesn't just apply to content marketing, but it applies to, to marketing as a whole is there's a job to be done in really establishing it as a business imperative, in making the correlation very, very clear as to how, at the end of the day, marketing is fulfilling the organizational purpose or the business purpose, etc., and how it assists in bringing it to life. I think that is the key thing that needs to be done across the board. And we're in a lucky space because content marketing assists a lot with that because it's able to given given its its iterative nature and its very prolonged interaction across the for argument's sake let's call it in this case the funnel or the journey um it gives it give, gives the opportunity to frame the brand narrative or the organizational narrative or the business narrative along that way and it's very important to establish that correlation when you're either interacting with a client or whether you're in a corporate environment and dealing with your senior exco. 
Thank you. Thank you, Manus, and thank you, Megan, and thank you to everybody who's joined us to listen today. It's been a good conversation, and I suspect one that will continue uh, post this session. Thanks, Claire. Thanks, Claire. You've been listening to the IAB SA podcast, Decoding Digital Content Marketing. Another solid gold production.